Hello there and welcome along to what is episode 10 of the Weekly Stoic. What a week it has been for me, there's so much to reflect on. From a huge dump in motivation, which I'll speak about later, to a huge spike in motivation which has kept me at a laptop for roughly 10 hours over a course of 3 days. It has been one that has really tested my understanding of Stoicism, as well as my beliefs on how it can be applied to real life scenarios because you can read it and you can make it sound extravagant as much as you want when you're speaking to somebody else about it but until you actually use it or at least try to use it in everyday life it doesn't really hit home how powerful it can be and that's something I've had to do over the last week and again I will speak about that later on but before we dive in to this week's episode I want to share with you a poem from which I drew a lot of meaning this week and motivation in particular and it's something that I referenced and recited uh, on the outro of episode 2 of season 3 with Cage Leitner we call that episode authenticity and it goes something like this this is your first game my child I hope you win I hope you win for your sake not mine because winning is nice it's a good feeling like the whole world is yours but it passes this feeling and what lasts is what you've learned And what you learned is about life. That's what sport is all about. Life. The whole thing is played out in one afternoon. The happiness of life. The miseries. The joys. The heartbreaks. There's no telling what will turn up. There's no telling whether you'll toss you to the side and put you out in the first five minutes or whether you'll stay for the long haul. There's just no telling how you'll do. You might be hero or you might be absolutely nothing. There's just no telling. Too much depends on chance and how the ball bounces. I'm not talking about the game, my child, I'm talking about life. But it's life that the game is all about, just as I said, because every game is life. And life is a game, a serious game, dead serious. But that's what you do with serious things. You do your best, you take what comes, you take what comes, and you run with it. Winning is fun, sure, but winning is not the point. Wanting to win is the point. Not giving up is the point. Never being satisfied with what you have done is the point. Never letting up is the point. And never letting anyone down is the point. Play to win, sure, but lose like a champion. Because it's not the winning that counts. What counts is trying. Now you might be thinking, why would that even relate to any of my stories and uh, what happened this week? And why would I even take any inspiration from it? Because that poem is... It's quite clearly written from a parent's perspective talking to their child about their first entry into sport. But the events of the past week have provided so much clarity, strength and motivation. So much so that I've attached the structure and altered, I suppose, the structure of this week's episode to be able to fully explore those in more detail. This week, we were due to meet with Panitius, um, but we'll rebook him on a later flight and he'll join us next week instead. Now, I wrote a blog article recently on change and progress, and you can catch that on our newly published website. And this week has been one of change. Changing the metaphor of the poem slightly, it might be that this is not my first game, but this is the first week in which I have felt fully vindicated in choices and actions that I have made over the past three or four months. I wriggled free from the shackles of the corporate world. And as a famous quote says, I believe in the power of my wings. Now, I want to take you back just to as last week, when I was on a Zoom call. We've all sat there. We sat on a Zoom call, as we've become quite accustomed to lately, as the other caller is talking. Now, at that moment in time, you've got two choices. You can engage and you can stay fully focused and listen to the words that are being spoken. 
Or it's quite easy to drift off and procrastinate and think of other things. Well, that's a choice I made this week was to do that. And I'll explain later on. So as the caller is talking and their mouth is moving pretty much as if they're trying to digest through a whole pack of hubba bubba. It's going crazy all over the place. Hands are gesticulating. High brows are dancing on their foreheads just as if they're trying to audition for a river dance. Eyes are popping out of their head. A bit like the effects of a certain form of illegal substance that someone might take to remove themselves temporarily from reality at least. And all whilst you're fixated on that one picture hanging on the wall thinking, that's not straight. Maybe I'll get another one. I think I'll sort that out afterwards. But before you know it, you've opened up your phone, you're on Amazon and you're browsing through a number of different paintings that could replace the one that's sitting quite crooked and awkward on the wall in front of you. Then silence. You've missed the conversation. With no recognition of what has been said, you sheepishly agree and say, yes, 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 I agree. That's what happened to me. But like I said, I made a conscious effort to do it because I had completely removed myself from the situation that was in hand because I had dealt with it. I had internalized it and I had no more connection with it. This was part of due process. This had to be done. So I had no real interest of being on that call other than doing it just to tick a box. And that kind of goes against what I believe in in many ways, but it was kind of something I talked myself into that I could have very easily got out of a number of weeks back when the process started, but I didn't. I stuck with it. I chose to go with it. My mind completely removed from what they would term as a serious conversation towards pastors knew that await. Yes, I was looking at that crooked picture actually did happen. I was looking at the crooked picture in front of me and thinking about how I could replace it. But I was also thinking about what other opportunities lay ahead, what else I can get my teeth into and what other situations were currently arising that I could take with and I could run. Which leads me nicely into this week's page of inspiration taken from The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday, the book upon which this podcast is based. It's titled March 9th, called Find the Right Scene. Above all, keep a close watch on this, that you are never so tied to your former acquaintances and friends that you are pulled down to their level. If you don't, you'll be ruined. You must choose whether to be loved by these friends and remain the same person, or to become a better person at the cost of those friends. If you try to have it both ways, you will neither make progress nor keep what you once had. From good people, you'll learn good. But if you mingle with the bad, you'll destroy such soul as you had. Jim Rohn's widely quoted line is, You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. James Alter advises young writers and entrepreneurs to find their scene, a group of peers who push them to be better. Your father might have given you a warning when he saw you spending time with some bad kids. Remember, you become like your friends. One of Gorthy's maximums captures it better. Tell me with whom you consort, and I will tell you who you are. Consciously consider whom you allow into your life. Not like some snobby elitist, but like someone who is trying to cultivate the best life possible. Ask yourself about the people you meet and spend time with. Are they making me better? Do they encourage me to push forward and hold me accountable? Or do they drag me down to their level? Now, with your mind in this, ask the most important question. Should I spend more or less time with these folk? The second part of Gorthy's quote tells us the stakes of this choice. If I know how you spend your time, he said, then I know what you might become. So my reflections this week have been literally all over the place. 
To say the least, I've had a huge motivation dump last weekend and I didn't journal on Saturday or Sunday at all. I'm sure as I try to understand why that is over the next few weeks, as tends to happen, it'll just come flooding back to me. But the only thing I can put it down to is I expended a lot of energy and concentration and focus on content creation that was, I suppose, a natural lull to end towards the end of a, a crazy week. Though as the week progressed, I was back in the game so much so that this week I am combining reflections written over two days. A reminder that I use the Daily Stoic Journal by Ryan Haldy to catalogue my thoughts. And day one was the 9th of March, which asks, does my social circle make me better or worse? And day two, which is the 10th of March, who is my role model and why? So my combination of reflections goes something like this. Recent events have taught me a valuable lesson. Others will do more to protect themselves than to protect you. There are some that we encounter who are so self-absorbed that protection of self is their leading principle, even when others may need them to reach out. It's almost as it's a personal victory for them. Though I feel reminded that I shouldn't expect others to view the world as I see it. Consequently, building their walls taller and their armour thicker will only ever serve to drive them towards disappointment and a feeling of being unfulfilled. I have become increasingly aware of those people. And I'm learning that role models come from all walks of life. There's no one-size-fits-all approach, nor do they have to be in your life for a sustained period of time. In fact, you don't even have to have met them. I have numerous role models. One that stands out is a person who sees beyond your current circumstance and provides you with support and guidance to push you towards future goals. They see the person that you could become and not the person you currently are. In others, I see thoughtfulness, I see intelligence, a passion for their craft, an eminently loving person. Those are two areas I've been thinking about quite deeply for some time, social circle and role models, and I wrote a blog article a number of years back actually on role models that I might repackage and put back up on our website. And this week, although it has been testing and tough at times, it's also been fantastically insightful, rewarding, and motivating aside from that lull of motivation last week but I think I'm getting there. I want to say a huge thank you for listening to me ramble on so far but as I close off this week's episode I'm going to move now into the six days worth of stoic wisdom from the Daily Stoic, the book upon which this podcast is based by Ryan Holiday. The reason why it's six days and not seven is because we've already recited one day in the main body itself. March 5th, cutting back on the costly. So concerning the things we pursue, and for which we vigorously exert ourselves, we owe this consideration. Either there is nothing useful in them, or most aren't useful. Some of them are superfluous, while others aren't worth that much. But we don't discern this, and we see them as free when they cost us dearly. Of Seneca's many letters, this is probably one of the most important, and one of the least understood. He's making a point that goes unheard in a society of ever bigger houses and ever more possessions that there's a hidden cost to all of this accumulating, and the sooner we're aware of it, the better. Remember, even what we get for free has a cost, if only in what we pay to store it, in our garages or in our minds. As you walk past your possessions today, ask yourself, do I need this? Is it superfluous? What's this actually worth? What is it costing me? You might be surprised by the answers and how much you've been paying without even knowing it. March 6th. Don't tell yourself stories. In a public, avoid talking often and excessively about your accomplishments and dangers. 
For however much you enjoy recounting your endangers, it's not so pleasant for others to hear about your affairs. Modern philosopher Nassim Talib has warned of the narrative fallacy. The tendency to assemble unrelated events of the past into stories. These stories, however gratifying to create, are inherently misleading. They lead to a sense of cohesion and certainly that isn't real. If that's too heady, remember that as Epictetus points out, there is another reason not to tell stories about your past. It's boring, annoying and self-absorbed. It might make you feel good to dominate the conversation and make it all about you, but how do you think it is for everyone else? Do you think people are really enjoying the highlights of your high school football days? Is this really the time for another exaggerated tale of your sexual prowess? Try your best not to create this fantasy bubble. Live in what's real. Listen and connect with people. Don't perform for them. March 7th. Don't trust the senses. Herculitis calls self-deception an awful disease and eyesight a lying sense. Self-awareness is the ability to objectively evaluate the self. It's the ability to question your own instincts, patterns and assumptions. Oasis, self-deception or arrogant and unchallenged opinions requires that we hold our opinions up to hard scrutiny. Even our eyes deceive us. On the one hand, that's alarming. I can't even trust my own senses. Sure, you could think about it that way. Or you could take another look at it. Because our senses are often wrong, our emotions overly alarmed, our projections overly optimistic, we're better off not rushing into conclusions about anything. We can take a beat with everything we do and become aware of everything that's going on so we make the right decision. March 8th. Don't unintentionally hand over your freedom. If a person gave away your body to some passerby, you'd be furious. Yet, you'd hand over your mind to anyone who comes along so that they may abuse you, leaving it disturbed and troubled. Have you no shame in that? Instinctively, we protect our physical selves. We don't let people touch us, push us around, control where we go. But when it comes to the mind, we're less disciplined. We hand it over willingly to social media, to television, to what other people are doing, thinking or saying. We sit down to work and the next thing you know, we're browsing the internet. We sit down with our families, but within minutes we have our phone out. We sit down peacefully in a park, but instead of looking forward and inward, we're judging people as they pass by. We don't even know that we're doing it. We don't realise how much it's wasting on us, how inefficient and distracted it makes us. And what's worse, no one is making this happen. It's totally self-inflicted. To the Stoics, this is an abomination. They know that the world can control our bodies. We can be thrown in jail or be tossed about by the weather, but the mind, that is ours. We must protect it. Maintain control over your mind and perceptions, they'd say, its most prized possession. March 10th. Find yourself a Cato. We can remove most sins if we have a witness standing by as we are about to go wrong. The soul should have someone it can respect, by whose example it can make its inner sanctum more invincible and inviolable. Happy is the person who can improve others, not only when present, but even when in their thoughts. Cato the Younger, a Roman politician, best known for his self-discipline and for his heroic defence of the Republic against Julius Caesar, appears constantly throughout Stoic literature. Which is interesting because he didn't write anything down. He taught no classes. He gave no interviews. His bold and brave example is what makes him such a commonly cited and quoted philosopher. Seneca tells us that we should each have our own Cato, a great and noble person, we can allow into our minds and use to guide our actions, even when they're not physically present. 
The economist Adam Smith had a concept similar, which he called the indifferent spectator. It doesn't have to be an actual person, just someone who, like Seneca said, can stand witness to our behaviour. Someone who can quietly admonish us if we are considering doing something lazy, dishonest or selfish. And if we do it right and live our lives in such a way, perhaps we can serve as someone else's Cato or indifferent spectator when they need it. March the 11th, living without restriction. The unrestricted person who has in hand what they will in all event is free. But anyone who can be restricted, coerced or pushed into something against what they will is a slave. Take a look at some of the most powerful, rich and famous people in the world. Ignore the trappings of their successes and what they're able to buy. Look instead at what they're forced to trade in return. Look at what success has cost them. Mostly, freedom. Their work demands that they wear a suit. Their success demands on attending certain parties, kissing up the people that they don't like. It will require, inevitably, realising that they are unable to say what they actually think. Worse, it demands that they become a different type of person or do bad things. Sure, it might pay well, but they haven't truly examined the transaction. As Seneca put it, slavery resides under the marble and the gold. Too many successful people are prisoners in jails of their own making. Is that what you want? Is that what you're working hard towards? Let's hope not.